Very good. Very good. It's great to be with you. Who likes an encouragement? So um, I, I love an encouragement. And uh, so there were a couple of amazing moments during the worship. Uh, I, was, I was up at the front here. And um, one moment sort of during the worship, my wife turned to me. Uh, this is Vix. And she, and she said, how are you feeling? And I said, I'm feeling a bit nervous. And uh, it's, it's kind of a, a sense of, um, I used to be a soldier. And when I used to, have, I used to be a demolitions officer. And one of the things I used to do was, was deal with explosives. And when you're dealing with explosives, there's a certain nervousness. And it's exciting. And that's kind of a little bit how I'm feeling today because our passage is like, going to explode. So I said, I'm feeling a little bit nervous. And she said, uh, it's okay. Just look out for the signal. Stop. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to look at. Um, so there we go. Remember the signal. She said it twice during the worship. I don't know if it's a word from the Lord. Before Christmas, we started a series, uh, a beautiful series called Walking with God. Uh, and then we sort of focused on Christmas a little bit at Christmas time. And then this month, we've picked it up again, walking with God. And this month, we've really been digging in to the book of Daniel and learning from him how we can walk with God today. Now, you might be thinking, uh, well, that's a bit odd, isn't it? Because Daniel was written so long ago in, in, a, in a, cult, a context and a culture. So rem- there it is. So removed from ours. How, how can we possibly learn or how can we possibly kind of connect with life back then? It was, it was 26 centuries ago where, when Daniel was uh, living and walking uh, this earth. So how can we possibly connect uh, with those guys? Well, we're going to find out. The year is 605 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar, impossible name to spell, don't even try. King Nebuchadnezzar has besieged Jerusalem, and he's, he's the world superpower, uh, the Babylonian Empire. And eventually, the Judas of surrenders, and he takes off thousands of them back to Babylon in captivity, and Daniel and his friends are among them. They're selected for training in the esteemed university of Babylon, and eventually they enter the king's service. Babylon was the most impressive city of its time. We've got a slide that says the book of Daniel, uh, and hopefully, and, and the architecture of this city was absolutely astonishing. There were, uh, there were dozens and dozens, in fact, hundreds of temples dedicated to all the gods there. Uh, there were palaces across the city. It was absolutely beautiful. There were the hanging gardens of Babylon. Do you know about those? One of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, apparently, King Nebuchadnezzar's wife, who came from the country, didn't like all this sand and brick and rock and, and, and people. And so he had the hanging gardens built uh, for her. This city was where the finest scholars, the finest thinkers, the finest academics of the day gathered. It's where all the thinking, and actually their influence is still felt today. So here's a random fact, which you don't really need to know, but it's quite fun. Uh, In Babylon, in that time, they counted in the numeral system to base 60. Okay, that sounds really odd. We have numeral system base 10, so yeah, and, and it goes like this, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, you with me so far? 1, 0, 1, 1, 1, 2, 1, 3, so we call it 10, 11, 12, that's called base 10, the numeral system. Computers work on binary, base 2, yeah, 1, 1, 0, I don't know much about that. Babylonians had base 60, why is that relevant? How many seconds are there in a minute? 60. How many minutes are there in an hour? 60. Where do we get that from? It, we get it from these guys. 
They were the guys 26 centuries ago who put it together. How many degrees are there in a circle? No, not 60. 360, but it's six lots of 60. The point is, they were such an advanced culture. They were so bright uh, and so many thinkers. Now, at the same time, uh, they had over 1,000 temples dedicated to over 300 gods. The whole culture was saturated in idol worship. And so Daniel and his friends faced this profound paradox. How could such an advanced culture with, with some brilliant thinkers, how could such an advanced culture have a worldview that was so fundamentally wrong? And maybe we today could ask the same question. How can such, we, we live in the most advanced culture ever. How can we have such an advanced culture where the prevailing worldview is so fundamentally wrong? It's a big question. The leading thinkers of today would love to say that belief in God is ridiculous. And are they right? Are we wrong? Are we right? Anyway, Daniel is not so far removed from us after all. Our faith is, is under fire, isn't it? It's under fire in the media. It's under fire in universities and places of academics. It's under fire in politics. You might realize your faith is under fire in your workplace. Maybe for the young people in the playground, in the school, at the school gate, even in parts of the established church, our faith is under fire. And I guess this is the question. Is our belief in God going to get so compressed, so squeezed, so maybe compartmentalized in our lives that it is barely noticeable to the world around us? Do other people actually know what we believe? Is it evident to them? I mean, can people see that Jesus is my Lord, that I seek to follow him pretty badly a lot of the time, but can they see that I seek to follow him with all I have and with all I am? Is he first in my thoughts? Is he frequently on my lips? Is it displayed by how I live my life? So now enter Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3 today. Uh, it's a quite a large chapter. I'm going to read almost all of it. Uh, I'm not going to have the words on the screen. There's way too many words and you'll just get, get lost in the print. But maybe, like stories of old, maybe you can just, just let the story carry you through. They're so, so rich. Here we go. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high. That's, that's about 90 feet and six cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. And then he summoned all the people and they stood before it. The herald proclaimed loudly, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that ki the king has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. And therefore, as soon as they heard the sound, they fell down and worshipped the image of gold. But some officials then went to the king, Your majesty, there are some Jews who you've set above or over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are paying no attention to you. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
These men were brought before him, and he said to them, Is it true? You neither serve my gods nor worship the image. When you hear the sound, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image, then very good. But if you do not, you will be thrown again. You will be thrown into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But if he does not, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. His attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. He commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes and their trousers, their turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown in. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up the men. And the three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. But then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men tied up and thrown in? Yes, your majesty. But look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening and shouted for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out. They came out and everyone gathered around them. They found they were not harmed. Not a, head, not a hair of their head, heads were singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar praised God. And he decreed that any nation, language, who say anything against the, uh, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble because no other God can save like this. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Whew. Wow, that was a long story. Are you still there? Just want to make sure. It's a long narrative. It's good to sometimes hear it. You've done quite an achievement staying with me. It is so good. I didn't want to miss it out. And in that story, there are three little areas I want us to land on that we might take with us today. The first one is their dilemma. Dilemma, faith, and experience are what we are going to look at. The first one is their dilemma, or the choice that is before them. So there they are. They're standing with thousands of others, possibly, on the plains of Jura, with this massive statue of gold there. They're ordered to bow down and worship, or burn. Essentially, the options are deny your faith or die. Now, now that's pretty extreme. Fortunately, that's not likely to be part of your week here in Cheltenham coming up. But do you know what it does happen? And in fact, it did happen this week in Nigeria. Pastor Lauren Andimi in Nigeria was kidnapped by Boko Haram uh, on the 3rd of January. And on Monday... This week, he was executed uh, for his faith. The ransom wasn't raised. He refused to deny his faith. There was an extraordinary testimony he gave. He was meant to be giving a, a ransom video, uh, and actually, he just spoke about his, his faith. 
and uh, he lost his life this week on Monday. It does happen around the world. If you rewind a number of more years, you might remember the tragic Columbine high school shootings. And one of the victims famously was, was invited to deny her faith in God. And she didn't. She said, yeah, I believe. While she was staring down the barrel of a gun. And she was shot. Now, those pressures are extraordinary and, and pretty unknown to us. But we have other pressures. And they are very real. They might be small in comparison, but, but they're still effective. And often, they take us out. The pressure to fit in. The pressure to be accepted or to be liked. Friends, that is alive and well today. The pressure not to stand out or to be singled out, to be ridiculed or to be excluded. We feel that, don't we? I know I, know I do. See, these, these kind of pressures, the ones that we face, they're actually they're a form of fear. You see, we, we tend to fear not being able to answer the aggressive objection that someone might give about our faith. We fear being called out as a hypocrite, or being thought of as, oh, they just think themselves just holier than thou, or being spoken about badly behind our backs. We fear not being liked, and, and I feel this, I'm sure others in the room do, it is so much easier just to, just to get on with our lives quietly, just be nice, keep our heads below the parapet, just, you know, don't rock the boat, and actually, it's a kind of weakness, isn't it? And I, and I, I want to put my hands up to this weakness. It was just um, a, a short while ago, month, maybe two months ago. I can't even remember the conversation, but I remember my answer in the conversation. I was chatting with someone. We were talking about Africa for some reason, and I mentioned that we'd actually lived there as a family quite recently. And, and the person went, oh, really? What were you doing there? Now, when we were living in Africa, uh, I was, my, my role out there, I was working uh, in a school, but I was the senior chaplain to a, a kind of a well-known boarding school set up in Zimbabwe. Uh, so quite often I had my dog collar on and, uh, and do liturgical services. They weren't my favorite kind of thing. But it was a very kind of clergy job. And so he says, oh, great, what were you doing out there? And I answered, I worked in a school. It was, it was like in that moment I didn't want to kind of come out as a Christian, <laughs> let alone come out as a vicar. And, and I, I, I don't know why, but, but I just wanted to just like, oh yeah, I just worked in the school. So I left him kind of thinking I was a school teacher. Um, it was kind of true, but, but it was weak. And, and do you know what? Weakness, it, it so often leads to other denials of, of God as well. We deny God in, in so many ways. Um, perhaps the, the office party. Uh, many, many people drink very, very heavily at lots of office parties. And perhaps because we don't want to stand out, we end up drinking a little bit more than we should. A group of friends are chatting. And then the chat turns to very gossipy and actually slating one or two people. And because we're there and we don't want to stand out, we laugh at all those stabs at someone else, or maybe we contribute too, because we don't want to stand out. How many Christian university freshers do we know who, who have arrived at university, and for some fear, they don't want to stand out, they don't say anything about their faith, and their faith drifts fast in, in the river of, of experience and fun, and I want to fit in, and, and I've got to get my second year flatmates in the first week of first year. It's like, 
What is going on? We want to fit in. We long to be liked. We don't want to stand out or speak up. Now, now there's good news. It is possible to be different. It's possible to be distinctive without being weird. Now, we don't need to dress up in John the Baptist clothes or speak in weird ways. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are beautiful examples of this. They were embedded fully into the Babylonian culture. They'd taken their, their names. Those are Babylonian names. It was changed in chapter 1, and, and those names are held through the book. Babylonian names. They're wearing Babylonian clothes. Did you pick it up in my, in my reading earlier? They've got their trousers and their robes and their, and their turbans, uh, just like the Babylonians. Jewish men, they don't wear turbans, but, but these guys did. They were completely embedded, immersed in the culture, and yet they're aware of where the lines are. I wonder if that's the case for us. We're, we're in our culture. We're, we're in this world. We don't want to be out of it. We want to be in it. But do we know where the lines are? Do you know where your lines are? For these guys in chapter 1, we saw one of the lines when it came to food and wine. And they were like, actually, for us, that, that's a line. And they said, we heard about that two weeks ago. The lines for us are so important that we think them through. We pray them through. And we can be normal and yet also distinctive and not just the same. There are lines that we need to know. I want to drill down a little bit harder because most of the ways that we deny God are to do with idols, worshipping an idol. Now, I'm not talking about a 90-foot golden statue in the desert. That, that would be kind of really weird. That was their context. It's not our context. But idolatry is alive and well today in our culture. An idol is anything that takes that number one place in our hearts and in our minds. That number one place, it's reserved for God. God has made every single person here. Whether you know him or whether you don't, he loves you. He's made you. And there's a place in your heart that needs to be, it's the first place, the number one for him. The thing that you can't get out of your head, the thing you're always uh, talking about or dreaming about or working out how to get, that is what is really number one in your heart right now. That might be one way to figure out what are the idols that are trying to push out God and take that number one spot. It, it might be that promotion at work. It might be that pay rise. It might be the bank balance or that car that, that you just on, online do every review and just cannot focus on anything else. It, it might be that holiday. So often it's a relationship. So often. That boy, that, that girl, that. If only that can work out, then everything will be okay. It, it, we idolize so many things. It might be your, your job or your position. Maybe your title. Idols come in all shapes and sizes. And we can identify them sometimes by the amount of time we spend thinking about them, talking about them, devoting to them. Idols never satisfy. I, I would probably go as far as to say everyone in this room, everyone in this town worships something or someone. It's the thing that is most important in their lives. You could say that's what we worship. You could say that is if it's not Jesus. You could say that is the idol. One of the greatest idols in our day, in, in middle class England, and, and, and it's probably quite real for us, and probably quite real for me, in, is our children. 
there's a, a weird way. We, we don't want to minimize how much we love our children, but, but actually, that coin can flip over, and all of a sudden, we can idolize our children. Perhaps it's shown by how much we spend on them. Sometimes it's way too much. Perhaps it's shown by how our lives are so dominated by them, or how they interrupt our conversations all the time, or, or perhaps even when they're a little bit older, when we really find it hard to say no, even though with our wisdom and our age and our love, we know no would be the right thing to say. When there's no time left in the week, because we've signed them up to every single class and club possible, and we're charging around driving the car, we start living sometimes vicariously through our children and have no life of our own. I feel like that sometimes. But, but maybe that's just saying, hey, have we got this right? Are we idolizing our children and putting them honestly before God in, in our hearts? Do you know recent studies and uh, family organizations are actually encouraging parents to let their children be bored? For, from time to time. It's quite a good thing without us running to the rescue. It's like, oh, you're bored. Oh, let's go and do something crazy. They're actually saying boredom is actually quite a good thing. It helps them get creative and it's good for them. Now, whether it's our children, our families, or anything else, idolatry is when we, when we take any perhaps good thing and make it a God thing. That's idolatry. If it's anything or anyone that, that we go to, to kind of make ourselves feel better, to where we get our affirmation from, if that's from someone else more than it's from God, that that's, we're idolizing that person. If we get our sense of worth from that thing or that person, that's called idolatry. These guys, they were in the desert. They saw the idol, very obviously, big gold thing, and they refused to bow down. Will we do the same? Will we refuse? Will we identify it? And will we refuse to bow down and go with it. It's so, so key. Will we be faithful or will we deny our faith in this way? Okay, I want to move on in the story. And the next two little landing points for us, a little bit shorter, you'll be delighted to know. Now we move on to the place where they're dragged before the king. And, and this one paragraph that they say in response it is, is a game changer. I'll put it up on the screen, I hope. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. It's verse 17. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 18, possibly the most important six words for you to hear today. They say, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But even if he does not. Talk about courage. Talk about conviction. We don't even need to defend ourselves before you in this. I, I love it. They, they trusted God's ability to save them, but also in his sovereignty. God is God is God. So often we, we try and tell God what we want him to do and how he is to do his job. I love it. We think he's going to save us, Nebuchadnezzar, but he might not. And that's okay because we know God is God and we know he's good and we know we can trust him. I love it. Their courage was not conditional on God 
rescuing them. This is real faith. Faith isn't real when it's on our terms. So often we have a crisis in our lives or, or, or an illness. We come to God on our knees and we're desperate and then we dictate to him how he is to solve it. We've got to get it in our heads that we can't insist on God following our plans uh, of action. If it doesn't happen the way we've demanded, our faith takes a battering, doesn't it? Think about the early church. Uh, early church, they, they endured some shocking, shocking things. We see some of it in the pages uh, of the New Testament. Did their faith crash because of it? No. No. Would they have prayed for, for people to be set free, for, for people to come out of prison, for, for beatings not to happen, for, for their friends to live? Would they have prayed for that? Of course they would have done. But it still happened again and again and again. Did God fail them or fail the people? Even their leaders, Peter and Paul, and they, they had been involved in some of God's most amazing miracles, and still they were executed. What about their friends at the time? Did they go, there can't be a God, or he doesn't love us, or he doesn't care? Their faith didn't dissolve. It didn't give up. God did not fail them. Guys, we've got to know this. The God we serve is able to save us from all these things and deliver us from all these things. But even if he does not, he is still our God and he is still good. And he still loves you. See, these three men, they teach us how to face a crisis. They teach us how to survive the fire. Guys, please, don't stop crying out to God for his intervention, for healings, for miracles. The kingdom, Jesus said, is coming increasingly more and more. And we heard uh, one story of healing earlier. We, we hear more and more. Let's celebrate. Let's press in. He tells us to. But when God does something that we don't like, or when God sovereignly acts in a way that we don't understand, it doesn't mean that he's not there. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care. Our circumstances do not determine what is true. The third landing point in this story is about their experience. We've spoken about their dilemma. We've spoken about their faith. But now their experience. Now they, no doubt, were silently praying that they didn't have to get thrown into the fire. In they went. And each of us has probably experienced, or, or, or bad news, you're probably going to, tough times in life. Actually, they might be so tough, that, that word is, is not sufficient. Times when you feel uh, unbearable pressure, times when you feel hopelessly alone, times when there's, there's just so much hurt and there doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel, as, as far as you can tell. Families break up, loved ones die, one disappointment after another after another. You're in the fire and it hurts. You know that. If you've got a Bible open, I'll just read from verse 24. They were in the fire Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And this is the bit where he sees four people in the fire when they only threw in three. Verse 25, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Well, who was he? Who was he, that fourth person? Well, we don't know for certain. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was an angel of God. Maybe. Most theologians and scholars think this is an appearance of Jesus, Jesus himself, before Jesus fully came among us. There are various Bible passages that really suggest that. But whoever it was, Jesus, just an angel, the point is, 
God came alongside them and sustained them in the toughest, toughest environment. If God wasn't there, they wouldn't have made it. And that's been the experience of so many of us, hasn't it? Undergone horrible days, horrible seasons, horrendous events, and yet somehow finding God drawing alongside in that fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire. When you are in the fire, God will be right alongside you. Now, the life of Jesus shows us what God is like. He gets it. He understands. He understands how tough life can be. He, he had a tough life himself. He knows loneliness. He knows pain. He knows bereavement. He knows betrayal. Now, I know we need to wrap up. I know we've covered almost in a sprint, a journey through Daniel 3. But do you know what, what's really cool? What's really cool is how the story ends. Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king, recognizes that God is worth praising. The three heroes, they get promoted. Guys, you see, in God's hands, any dire situation can be redeemed. Can be redeemed. Your crisis, he can bring beauty from it in time. Others, even through tragedies, others can, others' lives can be changed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went on to greater positions of influence, greater positions of, of kind of reach. And, and God can use every situation and bring beauty out of it. I really believe this morning that God is, is calling us as a church. He's calling us as individuals, but he's calling us as a church too. And I think he's saying to us, who will be my Shadrachs, my Meshachs, and Abednego's today, this week, this year? Who will be those who stand up for me, who won't blend in, who, who will be distinctive in the place where they are, in their workplace, among their friends and a fam among their families, who will live lives courageously as opposed to compromising, as opposed to blending in, who will stand even when it costs, who will acknowledge the idols that we are serving and put them aside, who will live a life so full of risk, so full of faith that we will burn up or burn out if God is not in it? I think God is asking us those kinds of questions. When God calls us to walk with him, this is a Walking with God series, sometimes he calls us to walk with him into battle, sometimes into the fire, sometimes into turbulent waters. But he's there every minute, every step. Those promises, you know them. I will never leave you, never forsake you. He just needs us to stand up and say, here I am. I wonder if anyone this morning would want to do that. Stand up and say, you know what, Lord? I know this is worth it. I, I know you are good. I know life hurts, but I know you are, you've overcome and you are worth it. Anyone fancy doing that this morning? Standing up and saying, here I am.
You might want to do it right now. If you want to say to God, here I am. I want to live for you. Why don't you stand right now? Don't feel you need to stand just in case others would, but just for a moment. This is between, why don't we, the rest of us, close our eyes? Heavenly Father, we, we, we stand before you or we sit in your presence. We're moved by that story of those three men 26 centuries ago. Men who wouldn't give up. Men who wouldn't settle for mediocrity. Just so an average life, but men who are like, I know you, Lord. Blown away by how you love me, Lord. Come on. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would do something extraordinary in our hearts. So many of us have a desire to live for you, to make a difference. But, but we stumble sometimes before we even leave the room. Fill us. Fill us, oh God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come now. Come now. I feel God wants you to know there's no condemnation. He's not the kind of God who just shakes his head and goes, oh dear. He's the kind of God that nods his head and goes, I love you, yes. Would you know his love right now? Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. And even as you're standing, let the Lord, in your mind's eye, take you to the place like the battle lines, the place maybe of the furnace. Now that might be super easy for you. You might be aware of the fire you're in. But, but for others, it, it might be the office. It, it might be that family situation. Let the Lord take you to where it is he wants you to stand. Lord, would you help? Holy Spirit, would you give us the strength, the fire to stand in a beautiful way? And it's our way that we often love to pray with each other. And uh, I guess it's our habit that this space at the front is often a place where we pray. And uh, if you just like, you'd love someone to pray for you, why don't you come up to the front? Sometimes it's as we, you've already stood, but it's also as we move. We're like, we're saying it to the Lord. I will move wherever you send me. And we'd love to invite you to come and, and, and some of the church family will just come and pray with you. You can say what area it is you want prayer for if you wish. But you don't need to. You could just let them pray and listen to God and pray. So I invite you to, to come. You might want to come and 
and, and say your declaration to God. If he's put his finger on something, come and say, I felt your touch. I heard your word today. If you're in the fire, we would love to stand with you. One of the things these guys had is they had each other. So if you're in the fire, come and let us pray with you. Let us stand with you. if we could have some people to come and just lay a hand on a minister to these people at the front there's probably uh, more of you who want to come forward there, there were two words during the worship that were given to me one um, was of a, a kind of net over people a, a very thin net that felt like it was covering you that you felt like you were there was a stuckness or a limit uh, and actually God was saying it's it's really thin it's like almost web-like if you just there's just a reaching up so what it, if, if you feel like you're stuck or you're trapped in or you're hemmed in I think God wants to minister to you and then and the, a similar picture that, that that struck me was given to me of, of someone in chains but actually the chains were really flimsy so I just think the enemy wants to break down the lies that you're trapped that you're limited or hindered or wherever you feel bound up um, God wants to minister into that so I'd love it if you could um, if you felt those either of those words um, stirring you. I'd love for you to to come forward or, or, or grab someone next to you to pray.